Hello listeners, welcome to episode 5 of Radically Inclusive podcast titled In the Black Seat and today I have with me a dear colleague Liz McLemore. Liz is the Director of Services Offerings at Cheetah Digital. She is a cross-channel marketing professional with over 20 years of experience in the fields of marketing, software development and technology. As a public speaker, Liz has represented Cheetah Digital across the country, providing her expertise, insights, and best practices in digital marketing. In 2020, Liz also went ahead and launched her podcast In the Black Seat. This podcast of hers features candid, unfiltered conversations amongst black change makers. and each episode provides insights for genuine seekers into the unique richness of the black experience her guests weigh in on a range of topics impacting the black community including uh, topics like mental health diversity in the workplace parenting historically black colleges and universities incarceration and much more and today on this episode also titled in the black seat we are going to explore into this journey to get ourselves acquainted on all and everything about black history i'm really excited about this so let's just get started thanks liz for being on radically inclusive and i'm really looking forward to this conversation that will help me and the listeners here to explore the untold narratives and nuances of black history I am so excited. I think you and I have kind of chatted a little bit about the audience that will be hearing this and I think it's an honor to hopefully begin that conversation and those thoughts, you know, on that side of the world because Americans can be very America centric. <laughs> so, you know, thinking globally I think is better for all of us. True, true. So let's just dive right into it, Liz. My first ask or a question to you is about Black Lives Matter. We've all heard, you know, it's a movement, it's a phrase, notably a hashtag which kind of was used to highlight racism, discrimination, and inequality experienced by Black people. We know that its use also grew in the U.S. And as Americans, you know, seek to expand their knowledge of Black history, much of which has been long excluded from textbooks uh, or mainstream conversations. Tell me, why does it matter globally? And days like Juneteenth, what does it really signify? I think, I mean, it's a, it's a great question, right? And to get to the idea of why it matters globally is that we are a global world and we have been you know we've been connected historically in a sense but even more now right you can get from one side of the world to the other yeah. in you know in 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 a few hours sure. and what we have to identify is that not only do people travel but culture travels and norms and the ways that people look at the world and i think it's important to look at black lives matter from that global perspective and from that historical perspective and it the way that i look at it is we know that america has exported media we've exported western culture and a lot of the media that depicts black people puts us in buckets 
you know, you're a rapper or an athlete, or, you know, there's very, these very one dimensional stories about us and there's always something bad, right? So if we talk about why it's important globally, why black lives matter, that starts us with the conversation of, well, of course they do, right? People say black lives matter as, as if it's a given. And that gives us a chance to sit back and say, well, actually, let me tell you about what's been happening right. to Black people in America and really Black people around the globe. There's a lot of history about the, even starting back centuries ago, with the way that Africa as a continent has been portrayed in the late, I want to say 1400s to 1500s, there were Europeans who went to Africa and they wrote travel logs to educate, but it was from their particular narrative. So they got the ball first and ran with it and started ascribing all of these characteristics to the people with woolly hair and dark skin. And that hasn't stopped, right? So this is a chance for us centuries later. Generally, that narrative is something next, saying that we're lazy or criminal. And this was, you know, pseudoscience on top of that, written in textbooks, all these things that, that Africans were and weren't. Yep. So now if you fast forward, we've suffered under that in a sense, not that we're victims, hmm. but it's been something that's been put on us. And so now when we say Black Lives Matter, we're saying not only do we matter in terms of us being able to live, but our lives matter in terms of us being able to thrive. Right. We are important and we have been important. Just going back again to the transatlantic slave trade. Right. That was the beginning of modern day capitalism. Right. Right. And, you know, large sums of money that were made off the backs of Africans True. between selling their bodies and also selling the products, oh. you know, rum and sugar and rice and cotton, the global economy, modern day capitalism on the backs of Africans. Oh. Right. So our lives matter because we built the world the globe right now everything is has been built on that right. and we we matter in that sense our contributions matter for science and history you know entertainment philosophy all of those things matter and they come from a perspective of being black and so therefore our lives matter sure. in the grand scheme of things yeah and i agree i think a lot of that history has been told from one perspective and it's important to change that kind of a narration and to really bring what's what's really the reality so we know that it's it's recent that there's a there's a lot of awareness now about days of juneteenth and you know that everyone's acknowledging tell me something about it you know why why is juneteenth celebrated what's what's the story behind it so this, this, I love the idea of, of Juneteenth, mm -hmm. both for the fact that it's something that can be celebrated, but also because it becomes a history lesson. Sure. And you can't talk about Juneteenth without talking about the context of why do we even have to celebrate this? Right. So, you know, Juneteenth being the unofficial end of, of slavery within oh. the United States. Oh. But the story behind that is that there was a slavery in the first place. And it took hundreds of years to stop this immoral practice. 
And even with celebrating the fact that Black people made it through, you know, the average lifespan of someone who was enslaved was five to seven years because they were so brutalized and in the enslaved life. Can you imagine anything else where five to seven years and they expected you to die, not from cancer or a heart attack or getting hit by a car or anything like that, just but just brutality. because you were the brutality hmm. that it had that effect of weathering people's bodies down, right? So imagine people being able to survive that. Hmm. So that is cause for celebration, but that also makes us look really at slavery around the world right. and the way that people are mistreated. So that's why it's important globally, but it's also important because it allows us to dig into the story as well. And there are lots of places in the world where Africans were kidnapped and brought to. But the, the larger question is, okay, there was this slavery and what really happened at Juneteenth, right? Did they come in and say, hey guys, you're free. You can do whatever you want. We're gonna help you get on your feet. That's not what happened at all. They literally told this last group of people who had been enslaved two and a half years after they were allegedly free. They told them, okay, you can go now, but be quiet and don't go too far. How about you go back and work for the people who just owned you? That sounds like a good idea, right? And it just blows my mind that somebody thought that they'd be like, yeah, this is great. It's like, no, they want to be free. Yeah. And that's not freedom. That's not freedom, period. They even had when when they were celebrating, you know, setting off fireworks and having parties that that first, even though the very first Juneteenth celebration wasn't until 1866, there was the initial joy. And those people were lynched and killed as kind of like a sign. You know, you may they may have said that you're free, but we still want to let you know that you are not free at all. And if you know what's right for you, if you want to stay alive, you will come back and share crop or still be under our thumb, which happened for decades after that. So I think it's important when you talk about Juneteenth, you can have that global perspective, but you also dig deeper. But you can see that there's a story yep. behind the story. Correct. And we should always be asking why. Kids do it all the time, right? Yep. We've all talked to a little kid. You, They ask why, you give them an answer. They ask why again, <laughs> you give them another answer. Absolutely. But, yeah, but somewhere we stop asking why mm. and we should never stop asking why. And that's so profound to know that, you know, these grounding historical narratives is in the in the most raw form. And, you know, these are actually the honest testimonies of people who've lived that kind of time. And, you know, it's important that we acknowledge that we understand that and how it's really still leaving that impact on the entire community is, is something to be worth noted and to be worth talked about, not just in one nation, but globally. Absolutely. And I think Brazil actually did a really good job of that during the when the Olympics were in Brazil, mm -hmm. during the opening uh, ceremony, there was a part of it that was focused, it was focused on their history and focused on slavery in Brazil. Okay. It was so brave and bold for them to not start at a, a point that would have glossed that over. Right. 
Um, and I know that they're having their own set of issues as Brazil has the largest population of people of African descent outside of Africa that live in Brazil. So there's a big, long, expansive history as it relates to slavery there. But they at least were willing to take the step to talk about it honestly and start to confront that. Sure. And, and that's, that gives me a good segue to know uh, some insights on systemic racism. You know, mm. uh, we've heard about it. We've heard about the term systemic racism. Where does it stem from? And how is it being addressed right now with all the awareness and all the story uh, telling that's going around? What's, what's at stake right now at the moment? Ooh, I don't know how much time you have to talk about <laughs> systemic racism, but <laughs> I want to plug one of my favorite books that absolutely changed the way that I look at racism and the history of it. Mm-hmm. And it's stamped from the beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America mm-hmm. by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. Okay. And that book changed everything for me because not only did he have to as an author dig into his own preconceived notions which we all have about the way why things are the way they are it's that unlearning that you have to do right and then the relearning that comes on top of that but you can't learn on top of your old stuff you got to get rid of the old stuff first and then put the new stuff in. So this book does a really great job of that. And I would honestly say that systemic racism Mm -hmm. stems from what we talked about a little bit earlier, the transatlantic slave trade, the idea of capitalism and power. Because if you are rich beyond your wildest dreams, Mm -hmm. people have never been this rich before and you want to maintain that, you're gonna put systems in place that help you maintain that power that keep you on top and keeps everyone else on the bottom. But what happens with a system, if you want to convince other people that this is the right system to be in place, is that story, that narrative. And in a narrative, you have a hero and you have a villain. And the hero is extra heroic and has all these great qualities and the villain is extra villainous, you know, and it's very one dimensional. There's no nuance into them, but they're in a conflict. And so we expect our hero to triumph over the villain, to subdue the villain. And so what happened is they create this narrative where white people are the heroes, you know, they're the rich and the powerful and Africans are the villains. They're the lazy and savage. And so we are in a conflict now where we can take them and make them worth something by having them work for us. And the other part of the story is we're doing them a favor. Because remember I said, you know, they went to Africa and they created this kind of narrative, even though we know that there was math and science and art coming out of Africa, these are backwards people in the brush. And so now we've brought them to a different place where their life is better. We are the hero. They are the villain because they've also ascribed all these other 
you know, wild and sex crazed and unable to control their proclivities and want to drink and be loose, you know, all of these things, hmm. right? So that becomes the basis of saying we should control them. Right. Now we have a system set up to control them. Because here's the other thing about a system. It's not naturally occurring. Right. A system has to be put in place by people. Right. And the people that put the systems in place are the ones who have a vested interest in keeping the systems going. Our white people. Right, exactly. And you're not going to ever create a system where you're disadvantaged. Hmm. So for me, that's where systemic racism comes from. We have this system where we're on top. Hmm. We have to maintain this power and this kind of hierarchy. And so we're going to create these systems based on this very arbitrary characteristic of the way that your hair looks or your skin color. And now we've got that. That's the thing that makes it go. We know that you're the one who has to be on the bottom because we can look at you and realize that we're up here and you're down here. So that's kind of where it stems from. Sure you know, from it's, it's a power play and it has to do with money, total greed. Yeah. And is that changing right now? Is there increased awareness? How, how what, what's the state of it at the moment? I think there's increased awareness mm-hmm. of it. P- more people are talking about it than used to, mm-hmm. but it is so daunting to think about all of the systems that have been put in place that are racist in their nature because they target black people specifically and how do you undo that like there's a really great there's a book called the color of law by richard rothstein Mm -hmm. where he talks about how the u.s government was complicit in and housing discrimination in the united states like it actually came from the government saying there are we will not give loans if black people live in this area. Mm-hmm. You cannot sell your home to people who aren't white. You know, that trickled down into black people paying higher property taxes, black people's property being appraised for less money. Mm-hmm. And we know that here, home ownership is the biggest indicator of, of the ability to build wealth. Right. Right. So you have all of those systems that are built in. And if I were to tell you that, You're like, how do you even overcome that? This has been happening since the Great Depression in the 30s, almost 100 years of housing discrimination. And that's just one thing. We're not talking about jobs and education and healthcare. We haven't even touched those, right? So I think people are having the conversation, but it doesn't behoove the people who are in power to change the system yeah it's so deeply rooted absolutely it's so deeply seeded it's it's uh, it's going to take some time for uh, these concepts to be unlearned and then create that kind of awareness days like juneteenth are really contributing to creating a wider understanding a broader perspective or a balanced perspective that people need to have right right it's hard i mean imagine if someone that you knew your whole life, right? Right. You find out something about them that is completely the opposite of everything that you thought you knew about them. 
how hard would it be for you to wrap your mind around the fact that I thought I knew this person? I thought I knew everything about them, but now you have told me that it's completely different. Right. It's, it's, it would be hard. Definitely. I mean, I, I cannot even imagine how, how these narratives have been in the system for so long. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these stories, like we mentioned, we talked about it, are being told from one perspective. And it's mm-hmm. so good to now see the other side and the way it's currently getting unfolded, you know, that's that's good to know. And you know, that just I also want to talk in the context of workplaces, Liz. How do you think organizations or corporates are creating that kind of a space through you know their internal programs such as their DNI agenda and on, on topics like these? And how can we change the vocabulary and provide that kind of an interpretation to create more inclusive culture to support not just to support communities, but also to create awareness to change that, you know, the, the perspective which has been running for all these years. Yeah, I and it's a great question. I mean Obviously, the this is an area that's near and dear to me because I'm a black person who mm. works in corporate America. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and I want to, I can't leave part of who I am mm. at the door, right? Yeah. When things were are really were happening here. I would say probably starting in 2014, from 2014 to 2016, it was Michael Brown that was killed in Missouri, Alton Sterling was murdered, Philando Castile was murdered. It was very hard to come to work and be my full self because I knew that I was like the only black person in the office, right? And while all the small talk was happening by the water cooler, my heart was breaking. And I knew the conversations that I was having with my friends and family were different than what we were talking about in the kitchen. And I didn't want to talk about that, right? You feel that pressure of being a minority, you know? Ab- absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. feel and, and, and very isolated, mm-hmm. right? And then you don't want to have to explain everything that's going on because you are, you're going through, there's a, a, a collective identity, mm-hmm. even though it's not me personally, I can imagine it being someone I love mm-hmm. and I have to go to work with that and then compartmentalize, but that's not being authentic to who I am as a person. And so from a corporate perspective, companies are now realizing that. They realize that their employees are bringing all of who they are. And it, you don't just shut down when part of yourself, right. you know, when you clock in. So I think that's the first step. Hmm. And businesses are also learning our customers care about where we stand on these issues. Right. You know, corporate so, social responsibility is yeah. important to our our customer base. And so we need to have a stance on this. And the best companies are realizing that that has to be authentic. Hmm. It can't be something that we have our marketing team come up with when something hits the fan. Hmm. It has to be the thing that you've been working on so that when something does happen, you have, again, an authentic and genuine response Absolutely. to the things that are happening, you know, in the world. Yeah. You can't um, have so, those ethics policies, just slap it on the 
page of your website unless you practice inclusive culture inside the organization, within your people, within your clients, within the networks that you interact with. Exactly. I mean, and, and at, at the time that, you know, we're talking right now, the Olympics are going on. Right. Imagine if you, you know, went to the pool last month oh. and, you know, swam a few laps and oh. then you thought, you know what, I'm ready oh. <laughs> you know, yeah. to get in the pool with everyone. You're oh. not ready. You haven't right. been doing the work, right? Oh. But the people who are in the pool right now oh. have been doing the work day after day. And so they're yeah. ready to handle those Olympic sized challenges, if you will, unintended. So so it's important to have that awareness and that safe environment. But what's also important at a company or for anyone who is undertaking diversity efforts, and I want people to hear me very clearly on this, you must let those people lead the conversation. Right. You cannot have diversity efforts being led by people who are not from those groups. Right. And you also cannot censor people from having those real conversations because it's only with radical honesty and candor that we can start to make changes. It takes radical, unbelievably wild honesty to identify an issue and start the unlearning so you can start the relearning. And the the people who are members of that group have to be the ones to have their voices heard. Otherwise, it's someone who is going to impose a limit because they only understand to a certain extent what Black people or LGBTQ or women even, right? You can't have a group of, of women in an employee resource group and have a bunch of men saying, well, this is what we think you should feel or talk about, so. Yeah, it's, it's about like repeating the history. You, you don't want people to narrate something that they haven't gone through, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, sure, 100%. sure. Wow. wow. I mean, I mean, it's it's deeply personal and profoundly moving as I'm hearing you, Liz. And I've I've I know that you also run a podcast titled In the Black Seat. And uh, you know, thanks to storytellers like you, we are all learning about Black history, and it has never been more accessible or dynamic. And all the the books, the articles that we get to understand and we get to read. So it's 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 great to know there's an increased amount of awareness that that's happening in in all ways and all sorts. Tell us about how did you come up with this idea of sharing these stories through your podcast and, you know, what kind of stories are you sharing, you know, through this work of yours? So I I think it it starts with me having always been on a little bit of a soapbox, Mm -hmm. right? As I learned history, I was like, wait a minute, everything we've learned has been either from someone else's viewpoint Mm. and or completely wrong Mm. so how do I become someone who's a voice of of honesty Mm. in these scenarios so I would do right you know like Facebook posts and stuff and people were like you know what you should start a blog Mm. and if I'm being 100% honest the idea of writing a blog regularly made me just I just had so much fear (laughs) about it (laughs) because you know you know, writing on demand, right. that's a special kind of person who can write on demand, but oh. I could talk and have mm-hmm. conversations. And 
I love telling stories. I love hearing stories. And so it just made sense to me like, oh, have a podcast where you can have those conversations and pull those stories out, Hmm. both as someone who likes to craft stories and who likes to listen. And so it gave me a chance to ask the questions that I think the audience would want to know as well. Right. From really interesting people or people who didn't even know that their story was interesting because it was just their life and, you know, getting a chance to put them on the stage where I'm like, no, you really have something important to say. So let's talk about this. And I'm going to show you when you get the feedback that people are interested in your viewpoint. So, wow. Great. And, and I have heard personally your podcast and I must say these are, you know, the real stories from the real people who Mm -hmm. have been experiencing it's important to hear these stories in, in the most raw form to understand what's going around, what's, what's the root uh, of all this and uh, where does this stem from and how can we really change that vocabulary. So it's really good to know. And I know there are many pl- podcasts and many of these articles that just explores the, the vastness of you know, the Black Southern culture through all these narratives that you're sharing. And especially when, when it's so limited to all of us globally to really understand what's the experiences of this entire community. So really good to know. Yeah. Across the diaspora, really. And that's always been Toni Morrison, Mm -hmm. the late, great, amazing writer who I, if, if, if you haven't read or heard of Toni Morrison, like avail yourself of any of her work, but she said something that really inspired me that she doesn't write for the white gaze, G-A-Z-E. Right. And there's a lot of people who write and they're worried. Oh, I wonder what white people are going to think of this or what they will say. And she was committed to telling the story so authentically that she didn't care about what anybody else thought. This was the experience. And so that's how I approach the podcast. I'm like, don't tone police. Don't censor yourself. Have it be the exact kind of conversation that we would have if we were hanging out on a Friday evening and talking about things the way that we talk about them. I want there to be that level of, you know, you feel like you're in the room with us. And that that is like the the basis of everything. So whatever they talk about on top of that, I want people to feel free because we have for so long held back parts of who we are because we've been judged for them. It's like, that's time's up for that. We get to be who we are fully everything. And the continuum is that some things are ugly and some things are beautiful, but that's every human being on the planet that has that experience and is along that spectrum. Black people are no different. And I want to bring out that, you know, we have hopes and fears and dreams and families and we like to travel and swim and eat and do all the things that other people like to do. So while we do have this added burden of the history of what's happened to us around the world, at the end of the day, we want the same things that other people want. And I really wanted to, not that we needed necessarily to be humanized, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to introduce 
Black people and reintroduce and have this be just a tidbit because this is not the end all be all on my podcast. Absolutely. There's all sorts of lifestyles and experiences, but this is just that introduction to the idea that, hmm, maybe the way I've been thinking about Black people and the Black experience isn't 100% accurate. And it just opens people up to that wider acceptance. Wow, great. Wow, Liz, I, I feel I could just sit here and talk to you entire day. And even that won't be enough uh, for me to expand my knowledge base. So thank you so much for you know being here, talking to me. I'm walking away with a lot of knowledge, with a lot that I'm still kind of unlearning and learning. And, and I'm so glad that I got to have this conversation with you to really unfold some of these stories today. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. I hope that people look at this with a sense of excitement and mm -hmm. anticipation of all the wonderful new things that they'll be able to learn and grow from, right? Because framing it is, yeah. it's like having an adventure. You go on vacation, you've never been there before. Yeah. All the wonderful places that you'll get to explore and something that you'll learn and no one can take it from you once you have that, that knowledge and that experience. So I hope that your listeners will look at it in that way. Oh, absolutely. As long as we all have our minds open, we are ready to right. learn whatever comes our way. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, wish you all the best for your uh, next episodes of In the Black Seat. Thank you. Same to you. Let's keep going. <laughs> absolutely. Let's keep going. Thank you so much. All right. That was Liz McLemore, everyone, sharing with us honest and unfiltered version of everything about Black history and its related movements. But we all know these aren't the only moments that we should explore and seek understanding about the persisting victimhood of people of color. If the experiences are daily, so too can be the education. So if systemic racism has a long history, you can very well expect its unlearning will also take a while. Please do tune into her podcast titled In the Black Seat to know and learn more. Thank you for listening. This is Amarjeet signing off. Stay tuned on Radically Inclusive to hear more on the space.